Onyx Hunt is our go-to solution for anything mapping related, whether we're at the house or in the field, whether we're using the tracking feature in order to kind of figure out exactly where we're going in and out of the woods, to also implementing the new cell camera feature where you can actually link your different cell cameras that you may have from different brands and be able to get all those photos sent directly through the Onyx app where you can actually see them on your maps and be able to go through all your photos right there in one place. You can use the promo code SOUTHERN at checkout and save 20% on your Onyx Onyx membership. Onyx has been extremely helpful for us the last six years, and I'm sure it'll be helpful for you. So know where you stand with Onyx. I'm sure by now y'all have heard about the Vortex VIP warranty. It is a unlimited, unconditional lifetime warranty. Absolutely the best warranty in the business. So if you drop your binos out of a tree stand, if you run them over with your truck, whatever happens, you can send it into Vortex and they'll fix or replace it. That gives me peace of mind knowing that Vortex stands behind their products. So hey, head on over to Midway USA and use the promo code SOUTHERN to get a discount on any Vortex optics you order through Midway USA. If you use that code, you get a discount and it helps out the show. So head on over to MidwayUSA.com and check out some Vortex optics. Meadow Creek Mounts is your go-to mounting option for red dots on your turkey shotgun. And one of my favorite features about this mount is you don't have to drill and tap your shotgun in order to mount a red dot onto your shotgun. I personally have used this mount the last two seasons and it's worked extremely well for me. One thing I personally like about it is because it's so low onto the barrel when it mounts to the rib of your shotgun, it allows for a very natural head positioning when shouldering your gun. Also an advantage of using a red dot compared to maybe just a traditional bead on your shotgun is you get a much more clear view of the turkey and you're able to kind of see what else is around there and making sure you're perfectly on that bird. Now if you're interested in giving Meadow Creek Mounts a try you can go over to the website meadowcreekmounts.com and use the code southern at checkout to be able to save 10% on your order. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. And here with Jacob Myers in person, live and in person. Jacob, how you doing? Doing pretty good. Oh, not as good as you because we went. We just got done doing a little fishing. Not, nothing too intense, but uh, I got skunked and Andrew caught him a little bass. That's so. right. So I'm now the resident fishing expert. <laughs> You'll hear him on the next Southern Waters episode. Yeah, I'll be telling y'all about how I caught a, a freaking 11 inch spotted bass. If that. Yeah. He's a, he's a little bitty one. Hey, more fish than you caught, bro. I know. I was actually surprised you threw it back because, you know, typically you're like, you know, we... We uh, releasing them into the grease. Yeah. You know, release them to Lake Crisco. Yeah. Whatever you normally say. Yeah. But yeah. not today. Um, no, we got, we just got done uh, doing some scouting for some turkeys. But on this episode, we're talking a little bit more about some deer, which I'm kind of excited about. Yep. I mean, yeah. Listen, turkeys, I love turkeys, but man, dude... The uh, deer hunting, it's still so much in my brain, especially now because it, it's like March still, and bucks are still holding antlers. Yeah, so we got some cameras out on my club next to the house. That's that's where we just went scouting at. And you say we were scouting for turkeys, but dude, I'm scouting for deer too, man. I'm, when I'm in the woods, I'm just, I'm just scouting. I'm not even, I'm just looking around at everything I got. Um, did you see that nice scrape in the bottom when we came yeah, out? I, I'm glad. I, I was surprised you didn't say anything about it. I filmed a little bit of it. Yeah. Going, and it, that drains comes right out to that food plot, probably about oh, yeah. 200 yards away, yeah. 250 yards away. That's just another one that, you know, next year, as long as I'm still in that club, I'm going to, I'll probably throw a camera on it. Mm-hmm. Just throw a little Tasco on that joker, leave it there all year to see what happens. I don't, I don't expect to get anything groundbreaking on it, but you never know. You never know. Um, this episode, this is actually one that we've gotten requested quite a bit over the years uh 
we talk a lot about obviously trying to hunt big mature bucks uh, or just bucks in general. And that's pretty much what we talk about every single week. But we actually get a surprising number of people who reach out wanting to just do an episode on just like killing deer or like, you know, filling the freezer, going out and killing some does, uh, just general topics like that. Like, hey, man, like I'd love to kill a mature buck just like the next guy. And I kind of fall into this category, too, a lot of times. Um, I want to kill a buck as much as the next guy, big mature buck. But honestly, when it comes down to it, if I go out and I kill a doe, I'm happy. So how do you kind of, you know, hone in on just good deer movement and go out and have a good hunt? And this could be somebody who's just trying to get their first deer, Mm -hmm. someone who's just trying to kill more deer, or someone who's maybe trying to help their kid or somebody else get their first deer, and you're just really wanting numbers. So uh, we're going to talk about that. Yeah, and I think to kick us off, one thing I want to bring up is, uh, do you have any memorable doe stories, doe hunting stories? Oh, yeah. I've got a handful. I've got got, got a, a good many. That I think is kind of interesting, but I mean, hit me tactics with it. wise or just like weird no, stuff. No, just that like happened? I mean, just like memorable hunts where you killed a doe. That was like okay, there's something kind of special about like whatever the moment was. Oh yeah, dude, my, my first doe ever, or not my first doe ever. My first archery kill ever was a doe, and it was I think it was in like 2014. It was when in Alabama and Central Alabama specifically, we were having a really really bad drought, and the drought was so bad that a lot of creeks that like run all year. Uh, we're going dry. Like the creek stopped running. The the river almost stopped flowing. The river there in town, <clears throat> and uh, because it was so it was so dry, I'm like, man, I bet I bet we could key in on some like water holes and stuff, and in these creeks and actually kill a deer. I mean, it was that dry. It never gets that dry in Alabama, and so I, I went to walking creeks in like September before season opened up, and you'd find in the creek where there'd be like a real hard bend in those creeks and where there'd be a cut bank and down there in that hole there'd be like a little watering hole and it looked like some kind of freaking like african watering hole that you see on tv where these guys are hunting over it like it was so beat down with tracks where just all the critters of the woods were going down there to get water so i threw a camera on one and i was getting bucks does turkeys coyotes squirrels coons like everything was hitting this one watering hole and it was getting a lot of activity and uh, I don't know if it was opening day of bow season, but it was maybe like the second weekend of bow season or something. I went out there, and at, right at daybreak, I had two does come in um, right to that water hole. Ended up shooting one of them. That was my very my very first uh, archery kill ever on public land. Well, it was uh, that wasn't my first public land kill, but that was I killed my first archery deer on public land. So that was that was that was a pretty good one for me. That was fun. That was a good one. And that was kind of earlier bow season. Yeah, that was. That was going to be somewhere around October 20th-ish. So in Alabama, it always opens October 15th. Depending on the zone. Depending on the zone. But back then, it was it was all zones were October 15th, and we didn't have, like, it wasn't broke up into special zones yet. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so, yeah, that was probably October 20th or so. There was also a lot of oaks dropping down there, which was, that, that helped. I ended up hunting that spot a bunch and seeing a whole bunch of deer down there. Hmm. So what about, what about you? Uh, one that comes to mind, and it's not... Not a tactic video, or uh, you know, I guess story, but it's just an interesting story. I was probably, God, I was probably thirteen years old, twelve or thirteen, and I was hunting. I had just, I think I've only, I think I had only killed maybe one deer or two deer before that. Um, and I was hunting with one of my uncles, not one of the ones that's been on the podcast. Uh, but we were down at the family farm, and mm-hmm. there's this one food plot we always call the Rock Garden. And any long time listeners probably heard me talk about this food plot, but it's this food plot. 
down in this little bottom along this little creek that's got a glade that goes at the side of the ridge next to it. And we got down there, and we're like, you know, going with the mindset, we're going to go kill a doe. Well, I was using my uncle. My uncle was hunting with me, and he's not a big deer hunter. He He's only killed probably one deer in the last 20 years. He just doesn't deer hunt a whole bunch. But he had this marlin um, lever gun that was chambered in uh, 44 Magnum. And this is a gun. Listen, this, this kind of tells you a little bit more about my uncle. He had this thing in his gun safe forever, and he's like, "Let's just go. Let's let's go. Let's go down there and take the gun, take the forty-four. And I was like, "Okay, cool. That'd be cool to hunt with." And I, I don't think I ever asked, like, "Is the gun sighted or anything like that?" <laughs> and uh, we just went down there and sat down on the ground just off that little food plot. And that food plot's not very big. It's probably sixty yards long and probably thirty-five yards wide. And we were sitting at one corner of it, up on some of those rocks. And some deer came out in the field. And actually, I had my little sister with us, too, and I forgot about this. And we brought a shotgun with, like, a slug in it. And um, she was sitting next to me. We are all sitting on the ground, me and my uncle and my sister. And I had that, that forty four, and the doe popped out. And she turned, it like, it's like coming out in the field. I'm like, hey, I want, I want to shoot. He's like, okay, you know, you're good, whatever. And Anthony said, like, you know, we can shoot whatever we wanted down there, you know, you know especially doe-wise. And uh, anyways, the dude comes out in the field, and it's like, broadside i'm like trying to get in the scope and everything and it's got an old you know tasco scope from probably like in the 80s and it's got a, it's a raised scope mount as well so it's not you know flush down against the receiver of, of the action it's raised where you can shoot iron sights as well so it's kind of awkward especially as a kid to get on the scope because it's so high up like off the cheek like you have to get your pretty much remembering back at it when i had a you know shoulder of the gun it felt like the the cheek of the stock was like down on the bottom of my jaw so uh-huh. like up on my cheekbone mm-hmm. because i was trying to look at that scope anyways doe comes out she tur- stops stops quartering away probably 55 yards pull the hammer back shoot second i shoot she drops just like falls okay and i held right behind her shoulder and dude i like you know typical jacob like i was i'm the same way now as i was back then you she's on you know i was kind of little hoop and holler and, and, and there's more deer in the field and my uncle's like he's like shh and I ran down the deer on the field there's like a little buck out there too he's like you could have had your you could have shot one and I'm like well anyways we go out there and this is where it kind of gets kind of interesting so we go out there grab the deer and I'm looking we're looking at it and I'm like he's like where'd you hit it at I'm like well I put it right behind the shoulder okay and dropped her and we're looking at it and there's no hole there's no blood there's nothing we're like looking at the deer flipping it over and stuff and there's nothing okay <laughs> and we're like oh that's kind of weird and he joked he's like well you just scared her to death so we start dragging her and we're dragging her by I guess her maybe her front legs and uh, we're dragging her back to the ATV and as we're dragging her her head at some point we're going over some rocks and it like spins around like 360 and I'm like, that's weird. And what? we looked looked at it, and we're like, what the heck? Her neck was all spinned up, spun up. And uh, I look at her, and you could see there's a tiny hole, probably three inches down from the bottom of her head, down her spine. And I hit her right there. It didn't go all the way through. It just kind of broke the spine and broke her spine like pretty high up. Oh dang! And I, I go back to the thing. I'm like, did I pull the shot or is the gun off? And that gun has not been shot since. <laughs> so I don't know. how many years ago was that? <laughs> uh. 14 numbers. Dang, man. I thought you were going to say she came alive on you. <laughs> no, that would that would have been weird. No, that would have been really I, weird. I know guys who that's happened to before. Really? Oh, yeah. I've, I know guys who killed a deer and they threw it in the back of the truck and they were about halfway home and it stood up in the back of the truck. <laughs> that's a whole other story, though. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, so this whole subject, the 
the doe hunting thing. This is something that, uh, I mean, really not that long ago, like I can really relate to this because, I mean, I, I try to go after mature bucks a little bit more now, but if I'm being honest, I mean, for most of the years that I've been hunting public land, which I think this is like year nine of hunting public, like pretty much exclusively, uh, I was just trying to, I was just trying to get on deer, you know, and like, I was just trying to go find a deer to shoot. And, uh, it's only in the last couple of years where I feel like I've actually been able to do that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't, what is like your kind of journey been like with that? I guess like, like trying to go from just, I guess, killing a deer to killing a mature buck. Where are you even there yet? Well, let me, <laughs> yeah. Well, let me say this. I feel like, and this is a great point to talk about on the podcast. Like, both of us had very good years this past season. I think we killed, like, a total of, like, nine bucks between the two of us. And uh, I think, if I remember, four, five, six of the nine were all mature bucks. Um, the funny thing is, the times, and it was a handful of times last year, I'm like, I'm going out to kill a doe. I didn't even see a doe. <laughs> you went too far in the other direction. No, well, it's like... It's so funny because, dude, there was a couple situations like, like I was taking my uh, my sister's fiance out, and I was trying to get him his first deer. He still doesn't kill his first deer. We were going on a piece of poke land, and I'm like, dude, I'm like, I feel pretty confident. Like where we're ending up. We went in a morning hunt, sat sat on, uh, you know, a a uh, what does Mister Brady call it? A, a right away or just like a, yeah, like a power know, line. Yeah, no, you, you didn't have to say it, but yeah, gas you know, line, yeah, power yeah, line, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. You, well, you can see it for a long way. So I'm like, dude, there's normally always does out on this sat that morning nothing and i'm like well now we gotta rethink for where we're gonna sit in the afternoon went and sat another spot very similar to it with more dense cover actually in like the the opening and uh had an unbelievable hunt and actually got on some does got on a really nice buck uh the whole nine yards but just didn't get any shot opportunities but the time again there's a few times this year where it was like say it's a doe hunt a piece on it you know you know wildlife management area um and it's you know say gun hunting and i go on a spot and it's something about does this is the, this is the thing I've, I've realized and it's different between public and private but even i mean even maybe not so much because especially like your hunting club as the season progressed it was hard to even find does out there where you like oh yeah we'll go see this food plot or go sit you know oh, this yeah. opening that opening and like you'd like oh there's gonna be does come through and like none would show like last day of season i went in we went into a spot i might i what? saw a bunch of does why'd you, not, why'd you not shoot one uh, because I crossed the road before I could get my gun up. And it was like right, it was literally at legal shooting light, and I was trying to make sure that it was oh. like at legal okay, light. Okay, I was thinking more so like the afternoon hunt. Oh, gotcha. but I mean, But even that morning too. I mean, we went on that hunt saying, because we had morning and evening, you know, we're going to go in and, you know, try to kill, you know, a couple does. Well, long story short, we didn't. We failed doing so. Um, and it's one of those things that I think, some people, and I'm I'm guilty of this too, will like overthink, you know, trying to hunt does specifically. Um, say like maybe like early part of the season, like oh, it's nothing. Like you go find a doe. Then as like pr- season progresses and pressure in- increases, it's like those deer kind of change, and it's like oh, big time. Yeah, and especially like on a piece of public land where like you know you only have a few doe days, maybe, or maybe you're on national forest and you have you know a little bit longer window to hunt for does specifically talking even rifle hunting or even with a, a bow sometimes it can be more challenging than you think it is and it kind of goes back to like i don't i don't know about you but my mindset every time i go in the woods it's like 
I got to go find a buck. I'm going to go find a buck. That's mm-hmm. what we're looking for. Yep. And like, you know, maybe, a, you know, you cross paths with some does, but like, that's not necessarily what I'm looking for. But like when that switch flips, you're like, oh, I'm trying to get some does. I'm still like in that buck mentality and maybe like overcomplicating things more so than it needs to be. <laughs> uh, in, a lot of, in a lot of circumstances. And that's why you, you think you go out and you're not seeing any does when you're like, I'm going to go kill a doe. You're kind of overthinking it? Overthinking it during certain parts of the season. And then when it gets to the later part of the season, it's this kind of laziness. Because unless you have a fairly unpressured piece of ground you have access to, whether it's public land, whether it's private land, doesn't matter. And, like, a hunting club really doesn't count because a hunting club, I mean, you're getting so much pressure from so many, so many other members. Like, these does, if you're sitting on a food plot, they've been bumped off this food plot so much. Especially there's been a decent amount of pressure out there. Oh, yeah. And... It's one of those things like you kind of like reanalyze what you're doing. So like what, what I'm trying to relate with the listeners is there are times for me when I'm like, I'm just trying to find a doe, especially kind of later in the season. I'm like, what am I doing wrong? Okay. <laughs> like legitimately, yeah. what am I doing wrong? Like, why can I not find a doe? And again, pressure just plays a huge, huge, huge part in that. And that's one of those things it's like you really got to figure out, like you can't just go in based off deer sign. Uh, like even feed sign like can be kind of um, especially late in the season if there's been a lot of pressure and it's in a food source that you know more than likely deer been pressured off it and not just a food plot but even like feed trees or like you know you get a nice clear cut it's got a lot of browse in it you know if those deer have been bumped off that fresh clear cut a few times yep they may not be showing up during daylight mm-hmm. especially the, the the big does may not be coming out until like right at last light so you really got to kind of change that perspective but um Again, it's been something that's it's kind of funny. Again, I laughed about it this year. I've told you about it. I think I'm going to mention it on the podcast, too. Just, again, the few times when I went out, like, I'm going to kill a doe is when I'm, like, struggling to find a doe. I find some, maybe find some young bucks or whatever. Yeah. And there's the times. That's when you go out and you see a spike. Yeah. Every spi- time. Spike or a little year and a half year old or two and a half year old buck. And I'm like, well, that's not what I'm looking for. And uh, just like, you know, the big does just, you know, evade me. And it's, again, that is like the the interesting aspect about like this topic is you know being consistent or just learning to have success hunting does and one of my biggest takeaways would be if your goal is to shoot a few days you need your during the earlier part of season in my opinion mm-hmm. unless you again going back unless you have a property that has uh very little pressure that you can kind of go hunt later in the season a lot of times later in the season those deer just get wary especially about food plots if you have feeders on a property, that they can get wary about that as well, especially if there's been a lot of pressure, um, or even on public land as well. So, uh, you know, one thing I've learned is, like, if, if you're going to go shoot a doe, especially in a state where maybe you have a pretty long season, you're better off trying to get it during bow season or the early part of firearm season or muzzler oh, season yeah. and not wait until the last week to try to go find a doe. Because you may do it, but a lot of times the guys are killing – Not this maybe is a – general like this is more general but like it seems like a lot of people that are killing does late season are a lot of those yearling does mm-hmm. and like the big does aren't showing up and i saw that like when i went to weavers and we were filming up there if some of the deer that, that were brought in the very last week like you had some bucks that were brought in but it was a lot of you know young does. 50 pound does yeah uh or they might have been spikes i don't know but like just really young deer because those are the ones that are still gonna be popping out in those food sources that people have been hunting all season long yeah, that's something that we saw play out on my club this year, specific, like pretty dramatically, because the first couple hunts out there that I did, uh, I, I was seeing a lot of does. So like the very first hunt I did out there, I saw 
either one or two does. I might it might have been the same doe. It might not have been. I'm not sure. But I and I shot that doe and we had we tracked her and we found her, and uh, that was right before gun season started. I shot her with my bow, and then gun season started and there was a couple food plots where it's like every time I went past that food plot there's a doe in it mm-hmm. and I took Mike in there and he missed a doe mm-hmm. and uh, shot right over her back we had a group coming out and dude, we were we were all over them dude like they it was perfect we saw like 11 does that day he missed one and I'm like it's okay we'll come back in here and then I, we kept seeing him after that I couldn't link up with Mike again but I saw him like one or two more times after that and eventually, probably three weeks into gun season, they just kind of quit showing up on that food plot. And they really quit showing up on, like, any food plot. And, you know, we had some people asking about our, our hunting club and kind of how that ended up going. And one thing that I wanted to clarify about the hunting club is I, I didn't hunt it as much as I should have. Uh, I didn't really hunt it hard until kind of later in the season. But I'll say this. Almost every single time that I got off of a food plot and hunted off a food plot, I saw deer. Um, there were some times early in the season where I hunted a food plot and I saw some deer, specifically talking about does here. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, and it was pretty reliable early in the season, but then they, they get shot off the food plots. They get scared off. And there's probably a lot of guys that, you know, are just, they'll have deer in the field and they'll get down out of the shooting house or whatever and, and scare the deer off. And, and that probably has a lot to do with it. Uh, but then as the season went on, as long as I got off of the food plots and I, I was in the woods on a terrain feature, I saw deer pretty much every time. Yeah. And I, I hunted those road crossings. And that's what it ended up being for us is uh, is switching like that, that last day. We went in to hunt road crossings. And that morning, uh, you didn't see any. But I saw, I think, three or four does and a spike that morning on a just a road crossing. And then I think Mike, it was either that morning or that afternoon, he went to his spot and we went and found like that food plot with the shooting house that looked good, and we're like, he can hunt here. But there was a road st- straight away going to it, and we're like, man, I don't know, he might should sit this road. And we decided to send him to the shooting house instead. And sure enough, when he was walking in, there was does hanging right there on the edge of the road on at that straightaway. And had he just like snuck in there and sat there, he probably would have caught one of them crossing and mm-hmm. killed it, you know. And so yeah, it definitely gets a lot harder as the season goes on. But I mean, they're still there for the taking if if you kind of beat the bushes and get after them a little bit. Well, that, and you got to think, you know, thick cover isn't just for, you know, big bucks. You know, those does are going to use it, and especially as that pressure increases on the properties, it's going to get those, all those deer are going to get tighter and tighter and tighter into that thick cover and be a lot more weary. And especially like on your club specifically, this is a great example. A lot of those guys at club really weren't trying to shoot a doe. Mm-mm. Until like really late in the season, and yeah. a lot of these guys have been sitting food plots, they've been sitting power lines, and it's kind of funny. But a lot of guys in your club like getting out during prime time. They don't want to sit until at legal light or even just after yeah. legal light before slipping out. And I guarantee they were bumping a ton of deer off those you know more destination food sources, and it just kind of changes that deer pattern. A lot of people don't realize that, but I mean those deer get extremely educated. Those old does get extremely educated, just like a buck does. I mean you got to think. You know, some of the does that might be running around your property might be five, six, even seven years old or older. And those are the ones that the reason why they live, a couple of reasons. Number one, people don't shoot them early. And then also they just get educated on how hunters are accessing and using those areas, especially leaving. And they just become more and more wary in those areas, which kind of gets back down to, 
if you're going to have success, especially kind of later in the season trying to kill, you know, does or even trying to kill a young buck, you know, young bucks are slightly different just because he, he may not have the uh, the overall experience um, that these older does have, and they may not be as wary. Mm-hmm. But those, those old does understand that pressure, understand where that pressure's at and where hunters are kind of sitting at. And a lot of times, it's like you're catching them, like you're bumping deer just as you're getting to that spot you're bringing to sit, especially a food plot, yeah, power line. Like they're just off the edge of it. Um, and I think that this that plays a huge factor on like you know how guys may or may not be seeing deer, especially later in the season. Like they're just they're just not coming out to that specific spot until you know later after dark. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and when it comes to actually going to a place to like hunt and find and kill does um like what are you what do you look for i mean because you you have had success doing that i mean obviously over the years like in tennessee you know you had the infamous doe that you had to shoot like four times <laughs> there was that one uh and then i mean several others as well there mm-hmm. was the does that that i filmed you shoot in tennessee so the commonality well i just to, not to cut you off but the commonality between all those was earlier in the season Every mm-hmm. single one of them, and they're all in feed trees. Um, some being over persimmons, some being over wild oaks and red oaks dropping. Um, the last one on the backside of like a little field, a little cut cornfield, uh, where there was uh, water oaks and some white oaks dropping. And it's like, especially early season, especially if you like bow hunting, whether you're hunting with a crossbow or you're hunting with you know a compound or traditional bow, whatever you're hunting with. It's like if you hunt feed sign or specifically early season, at least in the areas I've been in. And again, I haven't hunted a lot of the river bottom stuff that, you know, guys like uh, Benji Vote or Richard Fott um, or any other guys have really kind of like talked about where they're hunting feed trees throughout the whole season. Um, but it seems like those spots where you can find those feed trees early in the year, you can be extremely consistent killing does. Yeah. And that takes more, um, not necessarily woodsmanship, but it takes more effort to go in and find those spots because it's one of those things like you can't, I've never had success walking to an area in say August and like, oh, I'm going to come back and hunt this place first yeah. November or, 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 you know, early season, bow season and had success on those trees. It's like you find the feed sign as you're easing into a spot and setting it for like an afternoon spot specifically, not necessarily, not necessarily in the morning. It's mostly in the afternoon where you're finding that feed sign you're kind of setting up around it, making sure there's you know some thick cover, some bedding close by, and you're and you're capitalizing on it. And yeah. that's where I've had the most. Like if I was going to kill a doe, I feel way more confident, unless it's like kind of earlier in gun season, during bow season to go out and and do it and execute that during bow season specifically. Yeah. So like you're saying, if if you had if you were going to shoot a a doe on like January 20th here in Alabama with a rifle or if you were going to shoot one on October 16th with a bow you're going with October 16th I mean more than like I feel like I'd, I'd have you know again it depends on the spot and everything else but I mean I love again love hunting with a firearm god I love hunting with a gun it's, it's a great time <laughs> but it's also fun to hunt with a bow but it seems like those does and the big bucks the same thing but like I just haven't had the success on on big deer that early in bow season had close encounters just haven't executed on them but it seems like the does specifically, if you just find deer sign, find feed sign around any kind of feed trees uh, or creeks and water and really not necessarily catching them coming to the water, but like working down the water's edge. Oh, yeah. And, and like hunting around like small little streams and stuff. I've had success in those areas too. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just kind of goes back to figuring out like going into this coming season what are your goals if your girl's like hey i really want to kill some, i want to kill my first year i want to kill a doe whatever 
I would highly recommend if you don't have a bow, get a bow. If you're going to use a crossbow, that's fine. I don't, I don't care. It doesn't bother me one way or the other. But just go out there and literally have the mindset you're going to walk in at like 11 o'clock and you're going to scout your way all the way back into like a destination area that you kind of want to get to based off maybe topography or habitat, whatever. Mm-hmm. And you're going to kind of check feed sign as you're going. If you find something that's really hot, and again, the classic feed sign, Richard Fott talks about this. I think it's like episode like 119 or something like that. Um is again it looks like the whole ground is all scratched and tilled up um where you have a bunch of not only deer in there kicking around looking for acorns if it's persimmon trees um you know it's like super early like alabama is pretty hard to hunt persimmon trees i never had success here just because of how early the persimmons are typically dropping versus when season comes in but like in tennessee where you have like a late september opener arkansas you've got like a a late september opener georgia georgia early september and you can find like those persimmon trees that are dropping, dropping that fruit. And it's like, if you find it, I'll say this. I have been to areas like in Arkansas where I saw 30 persimmon trees dropping and there's feed sign all in there. Mm-hmm. But it was in a little tiny, unless I was sitting like in the water, it was a little tiny dry point. And I say a point, it's two feet higher than the flooded swamp around it. If there was no way I felt like I could sit in there and, and, execute shooting my bow in that spot mm-hmm. without like deer bust me there was like to get up in a tree you get seven eight ten feet up a tree completely skyline no big trees around they're all real small persimmon trees and if you sit on the ground it's completely bare so i'm like this is super tough but if you find a persimmon tree typically you're going to find a decent amount of feed sign around that persimmon tree especially from coons uh and other just critters that are trying to get a hold of that fruit um and deer typically pretty close or you know pretty close by um it's one of those things that if i found a persimmon tree dropping like that i don't typically i wouldn't typically be worried about sitting on it if i didn't see just an absolute ton of like droppings underneath the tree but if i see tracks in the general area more than likely that doe or those bucks or anything in that area is going to kind of come and at least scent check and see if there's any fruit on the ground yeah and you could actually use that uh uh jonathan moreland tactic where he carries up a couple big rocks with him like you know rocks the size bigger than a quarter puts them in his pocket if he sees deer kind of walking out there 60 70 yards and he's like in front of a persimmon tree starts dropping those suckers yeah and let it hit that ground again sound and it like, sounds just like a persimmon hitting yeah, the ground yeah, it sounds like a persimmon hitting the ground and those deer kind of ease their way over and you get a shot opportunity yep uh another one that i've had pretty good luck with is just general transition areas uh, there was one place a couple years back in South Alabama. It's a big WMA down there, uh, where there's like this big pine thicket. It was a big longleaf savanna, and there was really thick parts and then not so thick parts, but it was like real grassy, but like obvious bedding cover, and it was surrounded by hardwoods. And some of the hardwoods are up on hills, and some of the hardwoods were like in in a big giant uh, creek bottom. And there's a fire break running all the way around it where they burned those longleafs. And I just hit that fire break and walked the fire break and uh, and went until I basically found like a big trail coming out of that uh, pine thicket where they were coming out from the bedding. And, that, and I just hunted straight up trails because they were walking the fire break. Um, but I, I would wait until I found like a big giant trail coming out of those pines. So you're kind of hunting where the trail comes out of the pines, but then there's also another trail on the fire break that kind of tees into it. And uh, just straight up trail intersections. That's a really good one. And that's a, that's honestly what I grew up hunting for does. Because um, like I said, we pretty much always just hunted does when I was younger. Yeah. Uh, or just deer in general. We were just deer hunting. We weren't really like 
necessarily seeking out a buck specifically. We're just kind of hoping we'd run into a buck. Mm-hmm. And uh, those transition areas were always good and, and trail intersections. Those are always good, especially maybe later in the year if, if the feed tree thing is kind of passed by you or if you're just having trouble with feed trees or if the feed trees didn't really make that year and there's a really low mass crop and you're having trouble finding a hot feed tree. The transition areas are something that could be good pretty much any time of year. Uh, I mean, they're good from early season. They actually get better, I think, as the season goes on. Because early season, you know, they might just be bedded out in an oak flat somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, we Especially we've hunted some places in South Alabama where they do that, where they just, they literally just lay up under like water oaks. And they just, they sit there and they stand up and they walk around and eat and then they lay back down and it's open underneath it and you really can't get to them and, unless you bump them off of it. And and that can be a pretty tough situation, but that's why those transition areas kind of come in. Yeah, I mean, definitely, you know, does are going to do, like, what de- general deer are going to do when it comes to, like, working transitions. Um, you know, I've hunted places in Arkansas and Tennessee where, you, like, you have fence rows. Um, like, old fence rows running through some timber. Um, yeah, there's a YouTube video on that. There's probably, well, yeah, there's at least one out there. And um, those old fence rows are kind of interesting because, again, it's a, it's a subtle transition. You can kind of see them on um, aerial imagery. Again, we just did a mapping video. You can go and look at it on the YouTube channel and see, you know, what I'm talking about, what those fence transitions. And I've had, again, really good success in those areas, hunting in and around that fence line where you find deer crossing, but also deer working up and down. And what I mean fence, it's not like, you know, we're out in, you know, kansas or whatever and you're hunting like a dirty fence row in between wide open you know cut crops i'm not talking about that at yeah. all i'm talking about fence rows that are running through timber and it seems like for whatever reason like you have bigger trees that are growing along that fence row because they weren't you know whenever that used to be pasture land or whatever um you know those trees are a lot bigger than everything else around it and those little transition areas have been Really, if I was going to go in blind, like that's a transition area, I'd feel pretty confident, even with a bow, of getting potential an opportunity in there. Yeah. Uh, whether it's a morning or evening, and typically on those fence rows, depending on like what area of the country you're in, there's a decent chance you may have some kind of oaks in and along that fence row that again are some bigger trees that specifically again earlier in the season, um, you know, talking October, like especially like October could be one of those locations that you find not only a feed tree there but you have a really good transition that you can set up on and you can have deer coming from like 360 degrees around you yeah yeah that's something you targeted in georgia this year right it didn't work out for you did i hunt that in georgia yeah this whole last season is a blur (laughs) in georgia early season um there's a there's a fence row you found the buck tracks crossing it whatnot yeah that that fence row is a little bit different so that fence row didn't have as um how do you it, it didn't have as much of a transition edge on the like on the edge of the fence itself um mm-hmm. that it seemed like they had cut whenever they had like come in there and planted ponds and everything they had cut almost pretty much up to the fence so like you really didn't have like that transition you know i found in other places but yeah you are right i did do that in georgia and um, cut a big set of buck tracks cutting back and forth and gambled on it. You know, thought it was like, hey, he's going back to bed in the mornings. Maybe we can catch him slipping back through here, you know, just after daylight. And it did not work for us. Did but not work out. I'll say that. I think we did a podcast talking about this when uh, Hunter Rudd, who was my cameraman uh, for that hunt, we were walking in that morning and there was a, couldn't tell what it was. Couldn't, I, I couldn't, I didn't have a bright enough light. 
it was a it looked like a big body deer that was 25 to 30 yards from the tree we were going to climb beat you in there huh? beat, beat us in there and i'm like that could have been i told him when we climbed the tree i'm like that could have been him um uh, just and when i say big i mean you could tell like it was a deer and uh it seemed like i had a pretty big head i just couldn't see a rack for you know anything but uh but again it was an area one of those transitions and again just didn't have a you know a good chance there uh when he was coming through but those fence roads are awesome 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 spots like that's that's one of those things like even in tennessee when i um had the whole i don't know what we call them pin cushion dough from I guess 2021 <laughs> um it was like that with her god bless her whereas again a little fence row up against a skinny little piece of um skinny little piece of hardwoods that were on the, was on the back side of a little field you had a back wall on the back side of the hardwoods and it was a perfect little funnel where again thinking that these deer were going to come from like the crp kind of field come through this little transition this old this old fence row and kind of swing back into the field where it had just been some cut corn and uh worked out great the problem was if my shooting was a little bit better and getting rest shot a little bit she definitely knew i was there because she stopped i had walked up this is another thing about like this is doe honey this is everything especially bow hunting you better be able to shoot to the spot the last spot you stood oh yeah before you climb a tree you better be able to shoot to that same spot okay because your ground disturbance you you know walking around right there they are going to smell you and that bit me in the butt because i had walked up a little bit too far up and i was like oh crap i'm I'm too much like in this little hub of activity where all these deer can come through i've got a backtrack and when i backtracked i've thought the tree i climbed and i could shoot exactly that spot and i could but the problem was there's was another tree in my way where when those does came in it was three that morning or that afternoon um when she, the biggest of the does stepped out in that little opening she was right on the edge of where i had been standing and i all i could see was her head i had a tree kind of covering up a lot of her thankfully and she stepped out and it turns her quarter away from me again kind of high alert and hit her high um but it was one of those things that, that was one of those hunts that i'm like dude if i shoot this doe it's an hour and a half almost two hours before dark if i shoot this doe and just you know make a great shot on her there's a very good chance a buck could do the exact same thing coming from that bedding <laughs> area and doing the same thing like right at last light and get an opportunity to be able to again tag a buck and a doe which you can do up there and uh anyways that did not happen uh <laughs> we had some issues but Long story short, that's one of those situations. I, again, I, I love the opportunity early season to be able to kill does like that because a couple, a couple different things. A couple different things. Number one, you're hunting fairly unpressured deer, especially early in the season. Like they haven't been bumped, they haven't been harassed a whole bunch. So they're acting very normal. You can hunt deer sign, you can hunt tracks, trails, the whole nine yards around feed sign and do pretty good. But also with that, you have the opportunity at potentially killing a doe. And mm-hmm. also potentially killing a buck in that same location. Because, again, the bucks, depending on how the area sets up and the food source and everything else and how the bedding is around it, there's a good chance there's probably a buck bedded close by, too, where you could actually maybe tag a doe. And if it's legal in your state, you could also tag a buck, too, a little bit later on, like getting closer to the last light when he comes in. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you get a ton of opportunity like that, specifically during boasts, that I don't really see that a whole bunch later in the season, per se. But then again, when it starts getting cold, mine's kind of switching to... You know, we're, we're trying to tag a big buck, especially if we're starting to pre-rut. Oh, yeah. I'm like, I really don't want to shoot a doe right now. Oh, yeah. It's kind of like whole West Moe mindset. Like, I'm not shooting a doe or like, you know. Not we- shooting my bait. Or Wesley Moe or, or um, uh, Jerry? Jerry Morphis. 
you know, when it starts getting that time of the year, I'm like, I really don't want to shoot her now. Like, <laughs> even though it might be like an either sex hunt or whatever, or I can tag a doe too, I'm like, I don't really want to do it now because now there's a legit chance that, you know, she could come through and that buck's, you know, kind of checking her out, you know, as well, coming through a little bit later. Houndstooth Game Calls is your home for turkey calls this spring. Go check them out. They got all the classic turkey calls. You know, they got the pot calls and the box calls and the mouth calls, but they also got a couple really interesting calls. One of them is called the the success call, and you just need to go look it up. It's very, it's like a box call that you can work with one hand. It's really, really cool. Sounds incredible. They also got the Spur Master, which is another very unique call that you can get some really unique, clean tones out of. They're going to help you out this turkey season. Use the promo code SOP24 to get 15% off of your order at Houndstooth Game Calls. That's SOP24. Use it at checkout. It helps the podcast. Save space and cut weight with the Sawyer Mini Water Filtration System. This water filter fits in the palm of your hand and has a total field weight of just two ounces. I use this thing all the time. Basically, the way that it works is you get a drinking pouch. So it's literally just a little plastic pouch with a cap on it, like a water bottle cap you fill up with water and then you attach the filter to the front of that and squeeze the water through it into you know whatever you're holding your water in super fast super easy super serious filter filtering out all bacteria protozoa and microplastics so you don't have to worry about salmonella e coli or stuff like giardia this saves me a ton of weight whether i'm doing a long scouting trip or you know hunting all day i get to carry less water with me taking up less room in my pack, and then when I come to a nice stream, filter out some water, and I'm good to go. Head on over to Sawyer.com to check it out, or hit the link in the description of this podcast. Man, Mark's Outdoors is your one-stop shop for everything outdoor and shooting related. They're a family-owned business that's been around for over 40 years now, been serving the Birmingham area, but now they have opened their doors to everyone across the United States through their online store. Again, me and Andrew have been using Mark's Outdoors for years now. They have unbelievable supplies of literally anything that we need we can pick up from Mark's Outdoors. They're even carrying different saddle companies, sticks, platforms, the whole nine yards at Mark's Outdoors. And again, if you don't live in Alabama and you don't want to make the drive to Birmingham, you can go over to their website, marksoutdoors.com, and actually shop on their online store to get awesome deals on different products that you may be needing right now and be able to get to you in a very timely manner as well. So give Marks Outdoors a try. We promise you, you'll enjoy them. They have unbelievable customer service and some of the best guys in the industry. True Lock Chokes has been around since 1981 and still a family-owned operation from the great state of Georgia. True Lock makes every choke configuration you can imagine for any kind of wing shooting, hunting application, but also going to the skeet and trap range. Going into this turkey season, me and Andrew are going to be shooting the new Headhunter series chokes from True Lock and also going to be trying out our buddy Dave Owens' Pinoti chokes from the Pinoti Project. This is an awesome family-owned operation, guys, that is building all their chokes right here in America, right out of Georgia. If you're looking for a new choke this spring, give TrueLock a try, and you can use the promo code SOUTHERN at checkout and save 10% on all your orders. So y'all go support this awesome local Southern company and give TrueLock a try. And we appreciate TrueLock's support of the Southern Outdoors and Podcasts. Yeah, that's another thing that kind of makes it hard, too, that you just mentioned is the either sex hunts on W. Mays. Uh, you know, if you're if you're a big gun hunter, which we definitely are, um, you you got limited days. And this is true for a lot of places we've hunted. Uh, you, you got limited days that you can go out there and shoot one with a gun. You know, like uh, on, a, on a lot of the places we hunt, you've got like... I don't know. Three like, days here, skips a couple, skips a week or two. Here's another three days or yeah. two days. Some some of them you get three days period all year, 
um, out of your gun days to shoot does. So you there'll be more than three gun days, but only mm. on like three of those gun days can you shoot a doe. And then on National Forest in Alabama, I think it's like a 21-day window that's doe days where you can shoot them with a gun. Now, if you bow hunt, that that simplifies everything because you can shoot a doe any day of the season with a bow. Talking, We're talking Alabama here specifically. Yeah, in, in Alabama. But yeah, that, that's just some other things that kind of make it a little bit difficult sometimes is, is sometimes there's regulations in place that uh, aren't going to let you shoot does. But it depends on at, like where you go, especially. Um because some parts of the state, there's just there's a lot more does, so there's a lot more opportunity at it. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. Um, I'd say that it, it's kind of interesting because hunting does, I feel like, is really just almost a combination of a lot of the other stuff that we talk about on the show all the time. Like if you're if you're finding fresh tracks and you're finding feed sign and you're just finding general deer sign all over the place and you're finding a concentration of that fresh sign, you're probably already on the does. Yeah. You know, and if, if you're doing that to buck hunt, and a lot of guys that we talked to, we used to ask that question a lot. I think we asked Glenn Solomon that question. Like, back back in those years, I think we used to ask the question a lot, uh, like, how do you know that you're in the right spot or whatever? And we're talking about hunting bucks, but a lot of those guys will say, well, I should be seeing, like, a bunch of deer. Now, some of them say the exact opposite of that, you know, for buck hunting. They don't want to be seeing a ton of deer. They want to be seeing the deer. But there there have been a lot of guys who we've talked to who, when they're buck hunting, they're like, I just want to be in the middle of the deer. I want fresh sign. I want a lot of sightings. I want consistent sightings. Or I'm moving on. And they just keep moving and moving and moving until they actually locate that. And then they kind of buckle down and hunt it. And, and hopefully hunt it smart so you can, you know, continue to hunt it over and over and over again. Yeah. Which, you know... Not to get us sidetracked here, um, but going into this season, I, well, you, sh- you should have your suppressor here by this by like gun season. Ah, uh, yeah, it, I mean, be, it might. It'd be probably decent, ordered a right? suppressor in uh, in mid February. Yeah, roughly. So, so I'll, I'll have mine here hopefully in a couple months, um, which I'm excited about. But the um, no, I was not to get sidetracked on the suppressor thing. Um, but one thing that I, I've realized and after talking to other guys that are, you know, using suppressors, um, there's something about, like, shooting a deer, especially if you're going to hunt on a food plot, especially, like, talking like, a hunting club here. If you're going to shoot deer on a food plot, something about trying to be, like, as least invasive as possible, which is a couple things, access, your setup, you'll be able to get it out clean. Uh, but also, if you're going to kill a deer in that location, you know, try to do it as... I guess stealthily as possible, and I, I think we've all had situations where, like, it seems like certain times of the year, like deer don't care about gunshots like at all. Mm-hmm. Like, I've hunted with like multiple people, like me and my brother. We shot our first two bucks ever, first two deer ever, thirty minutes apart, same shooting house. I shot one, thirty minutes later, his buck shot out or stepped out, and he shot his deer, uh, and that was pre- like you know super. Um, I guess you say early kind of pre rut kind of time frame, and you know I think all of us have had a situation where you shoot a deer and 30 minutes later, 40 minutes later, another deer pops up with his doe. Another oh buck, yeah. Whatever happens all the time. Um, but definitely I can see like a, a big thing of like, you know, if you're going to shoot deer on a food plot, like you got to try to be as like this as stealthy as possible, especially if you're going to want to come back and hunt that at any other point in the season. Um, yeah. So, but, the, but the whole idea about just getting on deer, I think the big thing is trying to figure out like how much effort do you want to put into it? Okay, <laughs> and I, what I mean by this is like, do you want to go out there and like say you're like hunting public land, 
and like i want to kill a deer i want to kill a deer with a bow you're gonna have to have a mindset that i would say is slightly different than if i was hunting on a club or something like that yeah because if i was hunting on a club and i just want to kill a deer kind of like mike like your stepdad give an example for him He's probably not going to bow hunt really at all. Like he's got a bow, but I he doubt he's really going to bow hunt. And I, I don't know, man. Mike is Mike. Mike is into it. He he's getting after it. Well, yeah, like I've told I've talked about this before. Huh? Like you get a lot of people into hunting, and you know some of them like really take to it. Some of them kind of don't, and they're kind of lukewarm about it. Dude, Mike's been getting after it. I've been impressed with how Mike. So I don't know. Maybe he'll bow hunt. I I told him that that bow hunting would help a lot. Well, it, his chances for sure. But where I was trying to get at, like say with him is you know i know he wants to kill a couple deer next year i would recommend that first week of gun season go kill you a couple does go sit a food plot go Mm -hmm. sit a power line sit in an area that they're coming out to pretty regularly already and they feel very comfortable and get them out of the way like just you know and it sounds terrible especially if someone's never shot here just get them out of the way but like (laughs) get some killing experience yeah taking a couple does and then try to fine-tune of how are you going to go about, if you want to kill a buck, no matter what, if it's a year-and-a-half-year-old buck, little rack buck, or you're trying to kill a mature buck, it doesn't matter. But then trying to figure out, you know, through, like, you know, guys, the podcast and stuff that we've talked about, how you need to change that mindset a little bit more so, kind of getting later towards the pre-rut rut time period and how to, you know, buckle down there that time period, but not worry about, like, crap now i gotta go find some more meat because i didn't kill something mm-hmm. you know earlier in the season when i might have had a you know a pretty good opportunity yeah because i feel so better when he missed that deer dude i'm like oh my god like, <laughs> dude, that, i'll take the wind out of your sail dude yeah well yeah i was joking with him because that was his very first hunt that we went on and we went walking down to that food plot and the deer were already in the food plot and we've like put the freaking crawl on them and everything because they were they were too far and so we literally belly crawled a, a good ways up to him so it was kind of fun but i mean he was he was shouldered up on the rifle within 10 minutes of leaving the truck and so there there was a moment i'm not gonna lie where we were sitting there and i was like man it's a little bit too easy <laughs> like it needs a, it needs a little bit of uh adversity here and uh, he got it he, he definitely got it he he hunted a, a a good bit with me this year and we got skunked pretty much every time after that mm-hmm. I, that's what i was telling him after that first hunt i'm like man that was a really good hunt that was like action-packed like we saw deer immediately we got to stalk them that doesn't happen very often here you just don't get that kind of opportunity to do like a spot stalk mm-hmm. but just the way the area is set up it kind of set up for that and um and then yeah, the rest of the year we kind of rode the struggle bus a little bit, but you know it's all it's all part of the experience. You know, see, see, I had the same thing when I was taking my sister's fiance out. I'm like, dude, you know, first morning we went out, and he's hunted a decent amount. He's hunted for a couple of years, just hasn't had success. Um, he's passed some like doe fawns, like some like real young deer, um, just because he's like, I just you know I want to if I kill a doe, I want to kill like a decent doe. Um, but like we went on public land. I told him, like, dude, we're gonna go on public land. Like, I feel pretty confident we get you on a deer on on a doe, but there's no guarantees in any of this. Okay, and I think that's the cool thing. Like when you go out there and have experiences, it's, it's especially if you're hunting a place that's not, um, when you're hunting a property that has a decent amount of pressure, it is kind of a reality check. It's not you just go walk in the woods and shoot a deer. There are times like that. There are definitely times when, like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you hear stories all the time. Guys walking into the woods, shoots a giant buck, walks, steps out in front of him on his way to stand, boom, yep. tagged out, ready to roll. But a lot of times it's not that case. And like with Gavin, you know, my my sister's fiance, you know, he's got to see or experience having like a big mature buck, you know, within a couple hundred yards of us. 
we didn't get a shot at and a bunch of other deer a couple of does come slipping down the ridge right at last light i couldn't get them on the gun in time and they slipped right past us and uh he was just talking about like how much fun that was just like having that many deer that close and like oh, us yeah. being like right in the middle of the action and that definitely i think helps especially when you're talking about like a newer hunter you know getting excited about it uh is like again the, like those failures and i told him like these, these failures is what's gonna make it really sweet when you finally get that deer oh 100%. which is like what travis murray there's a quote from the first episode we interviewed with travis like travis murray i think it's like episode is it episode 211 or 213 one of the first two yeah. times we had him on he talks about like failure is like the seasoning that makes success taste so sweet oh yeah and that's a good quote and i 100 percent believe that it's like dude when you like freaking get drugged through the mud and all of a sudden like something clicks you're able to execute that's awesome but also like i was telling gavin i'm like dude like even if we did have success like i want you to think like why did we have success like the situation the setup how the deer were coming through here what we were set up on i was trying to talk to him about thermals and wind and he's very interested in learning more kind of like mike yeah um but it's one of those things that it takes some time and again even like myself you know i i feel you know i'm not the most you know seasoned you know big buck killer but you know this the consistency you know of course having time to hunt more definitely helps but there's like times when like i still struggle like especially like just trying to kill a doe during you know especially later in the season it's kind of funny thinking about it yeah because <laughs> like other times i'm like oh it's, it's like no problem and then you get to like something about like it's to like december i'm like do i really want to kill a doe right now especially if we're hunting alabama it's like the rut i'm like mm-hmm. you know there's a time this year with a muzzleloader i could have smoked one at 50 yards from me sitting on the ground with a muzzleloader and, and i was like man this would be a perfect deer for pepper to track because i'm like dude i you know right behind the shoulder probably run 60 80 yards put pepper on it get a good you know good practice track in but i'm like nah dude this is a spot that you know i think there could be a big buck come through here maybe not right now but maybe in a couple of days or uh-huh. next week oh yeah and you know ended up not shooting her and then you know after the fact i'm like probably should have shot that deer yep hindsight is 2020 well there uh there's i don't know there's a lot of situations like that um, where where we kind of like throttle back on on the bloodthirst, I guess a little bit, where we're like, yeah, I don't know if I want to shoot that doe, or I don't know if I want to pack her out, or well, or whatever. You say, well, I say that, but then like Arkansas, like during the muzzler hunt this year, I was on the phone. Was I on the phone with you? I shot when I shot the no, doe. No, you you hung up and then called back. Yeah, like 15 minutes later, like, I got another one. I got another one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I was yeah. yeah, I was actually actually I texted the game work because I was confused on the regs uh, for the place. And I was like, hey, because I just shot a buck with the muzzleloader. And I was like, I texted him. I was like, hey, can I shoot a doe too? Like same day. He's like, yeah, you, you know, you get, you know, you can get get one doe too. That's fine. And, uh, and I'm like, cool. And then like not five minutes later, I hear something behind me and see two does coming through. I'm like, you are done. You're going on a <laughs> kayak ride. We're floating you back across the the, the river. Yep. And uh, yeah, that was uh that was interesting. But you know, the fun thing is, dude when you get in the mindset especially like early on when someone's like learning like how to hunt and just trying to have success it is so fun because at any point in time there could be a a legal deer step out that you you can more than willing to be able to take oh yeah that's like with mike this year It it was a lot of fun bringing him because i'm like hey any literally any deer that steps out you can shoot it because our antler point restrictions on our club they don't they don't matter if someone's never shot a deer before uh, so I'm like, dude, literally any deer that crosses our path is on the menu today. Yeah. And that's a fun feeling going out in the woods with that, you know, like it, it just, it adds a lot to it. But, um, 
to kind of get to a point of wrapping it up, and then we got to read some reviews, dude, because we we haven't with our episode format lately. We haven't we haven't actually got to read reviews in a while, so we're gonna get through some of those. Um, but with the doe hunting thing, what what would you say are some good rules of thumb? If somebody's listening to this, and like I said, we've gotten requests for this subject before, but if someone's listening to this and they're like, you know what, this fall, I just want to kill some freaking deer. I want to, I want to get after it. I want to get in there and just like get some numbers under my belt. Uh, what what would be like a rule of thumb in, in, in your mind of like how to do that? Number one, bow season, I'd be trying to find features. I, I'd try to find some kind of mass crop that the deer are feeding on and the problem is if there's not a good mass crop in your area like it was kind of in central alabama it's one of those things that maybe you've got to lean a little bit more towards the food plots and kind of hunt maybe not on the food plot but in and around those food plots where those deer are kind of coming in and out to them um that would be a huge part during during bow season and then come gun season a couple of things if you're on a club lease get your own family property get food plots if you're hunting with feeders whatever you can get one normally typically you can get a couple does early in the season right when gun season opens up you know in around whatever that food source is you know the food plots the the food plots uh bait stations uh it's still some of the feed trees for sure but also like as it gets a little bit later in the season i want to find and maybe this is probably something you want to talk about but I want to find an area where I can see a pretty good distance over mm-hmm. probably 200 yards that I can shoot. And also it comes down to like your shooting capabilities. Like we talked about with Mike, yeah. Uh, like with him, you know, he's still got to learn his gun to be able to shoot confidently. Cause I mean, he mentioned even like when we were out shooting with him, he's like, dude, you know, I, I probably need this deer within like 80 yards. Yep. Feel comfortable shooting. And that's perfectly fine. But if you shoot your gun a decent amount, your muzzleloader, whatever, Put yourself in a situation where you can see either down, if, it, if it's legal where you're at, whether it's a piece of public land and it's closed access roadways, or if it's on a hunting club where you have a closed access roadway or old roadbed or logging roads, that's a great spot to set up on where you can watch down a straightaway or like a bend in the road where you can watch two directions. You can see for 100 yards either direction. That's a fantastic spot. Anywhere where I can see a decent distance through some thick cover that the deer are clearly using, looking at tracks, crossing the roads walking up and down the roads that's an excellent point or again if you feel very confident in your shooting capabilities going and hunting around like fresh cutovers like that were cut the year you're hunting or like during hunting season or just before the hunting season up to like two to three years old and sitting up getting high in a tree whether you're using a saddle whether you're using a climber or lock on whatever and getting in a spot where i can shoot you know, a few hundred yards, maybe even further. Like I've got my comfort range of what I can shoot to. Yep. Just whatever that comfort range is, be able to get in a spot where you can see a lot of good feeding and bedding cover and be able to just use your binos and find a deer, pick it out, and then see if it's what you want to shoot and then execute the shot. Yep. So what about you? I I had a guy ask me this actually last year, and one, one just kind of surefire way that I've gone about – killing some does in the past that worked really well for me was if you got if you've got gas lines and power lines on your area especially if it's kind of hilly uh one really good way is just get get on one of those suckers where you can see for a long ways and even if you're not necessarily hunting right then like i've done this in the past where i've i've sat in a spot where i can see like a mile or something down one of these gas lines and of course there's like you know little dips and draws in it where i can't see you know, everything, but I can see for a really long ways and I can see like multiple hillsides out in front of me. 
and I'll just see where I see a doe cross. And then I will stand up and I will walk down there and get within 200 yards of it and then hunt that. And then, you know, usually you, that's a, that's a pretty surefire way of, of getting on a good trail pretty quickly, like an active trail. Cause if one crosses there, there's a decent chance another one's going to cross there. You know, she's crossing there for a reason. So that's one way that I found that, that works really well. And then kind of like what you just said, the feed tree thing, the feed tree thing works very well. Anything where you're just keying in on deer sign and you're getting on top of where a lot of deer are hanging out and you're you're moving and you're focusing on that good sign that good fresh sign i mean you really just can't go wrong with that and that's what i mean when i say that it relates back to a lot of the stuff we talk about with hunting bucks and what a lot of these guests talk about you know outside of like the really hardcore buck specific tasks anything that's talked about for bucks will work for does Mm -hmm. and with most of the tactics you hear on here, I'll just, again, reiterate, if you're not seeing any deer, then you probably should be moving. You know, you should be seeing some deer. Unless you're doing, like, the the hardest core, like, big buck hunter, like, you're hunting the weirdest spot ever, trying to kill that nine-year-old buck that, like, hangs off by himself. You should be seeing something, mm-hmm. you know. And, and so if you're not getting those encounters, then it's probably time to move and, and just and be mobile and and that fresh sign is king. I mean, tracks are king to me. Mm-hmm. So, uh, that, that's the kind of thing that helped me, uh, start killing more deer on public land is, is when I actually started paying attention to that fresh sign and, and not sitting spots just to sit spots because they theoretically should be good based on, you know, something you saw on the map or something, you know, maybe it's something you heard on this podcast and you think that this scenario sets up just perfect. But if you're going and trying that tactic in a certain spot and you're not seeing anything, it's time to move, Yeah, you know? Um, and just one last thing to kind of, I don't know, there's a little bit of nuance to it too, because it also depends on your area. Um, if, if you've got a really low deer density, then if you go a couple of hunts and don't see anything, yeah, that's probably not the end of the world. Uh, but if you if you live in a really high deer density area, like if you live like south of Montgomery in Alabama, and you're not seeing deer on every hunt or every other hunt, then like dude, you should move <laughs> and you should you should rethink what you're doing if you're not seeing them. You know, there's obviously external factors like if you just got like a super 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 thick club, kind of like uh, one of our uh, Patreon collaborators from earlier this year, his club is just like insanely thick. Uh, down in South Alabama, but like you kind of get my point. Um, if you're not seeing them, don't be afraid to pick up and move, and and just kind of jump around until you actually do find where they're at, and uh, and then kind of take it from there. Mm-hmm. Capitalize on it. Trail cameras are your friend too. I mean, I like throwing trail cameras on on trails and stuff. Actually, one thing I did like way back in the day when I was uh I think I was in high school maybe, or I might have just started junior college, is I would. I would only hunt trails. Like, that's what we grew up doing. I would hunt deer trails, and more specifically, I'd hunt where multiple deer trails ran into each other. And I would hunt these deer trails all the time and not see anything, basically. And uh, looking back, it was access. It was 100%. I'd, like, never even paid attention to access, and that's probably why. But uh, I would throw trail cameras on these trails, and I would see if there's any kind of pattern to, like, when the deer were coming through based on, like, a wind direction or something like that. And sure enough, there would usually be some kind of pattern to it, like a northwest wind or something like that is when they would come through. 
And I started doing that and, and actually seeing a lot of deer mm-hmm. and killing some does. So that that would be another option is, you know, throw some trail cameras out and, and try to draw some conclusions on when the deer are coming through areas, like why they're coming through areas. But again, just related back to sign. Sign is always king. Always, always, always king. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, this has been a kind of a fun thing to cover. I'd be curious of people's feedback on this because uh, we, we do get this request for, like, this subject a lot. And we could go find some guests on this. We wanted to just kind of do one, just, just me and Jacob, one so we could – you know, just kind of chat it up, but also so we can do reviews and stuff because we haven't done reviews in a long time. But uh, definitely, we want some uh, feedback on this and what you guys thought of it, and kind of if what y'all want to hear expanded on the subject because because it is a cool subject that doesn't get talked about a ton that I'm sure would help a lot of people out. Oh, absolutely. Well, to kind of get to um, some of these reviews, I'm going to start out. We got a bunch of them that we're going to read, but kind of start out. Um, this is from uh, Native to Nature. And this is, again, on iTunes. Everybody's been leaving us uh, five-star reviews on iTunes, Apple Podcasts. Greatly appreciate it. We're trying to get to 1,000 reviews. And we're currently sitting at 973 as we're sitting here. So I'm going to start with, again, Native to Nature. Title is Postseason Review, five stars. I want to take the moment to thank you guys for continuing to pump out content for the Southern Deer Hunter. I came up empty-handed this past season because I chose to focus my efforts on a mature buck. Although I didn't punch a tag, I saw more deer than ever. My mixed bag of tactics from several guests on your show helped me find some promising areas with good sign. I feel I still feel successful because I have a lot of work with I have a lot of work within this season or with the seasons to come. I plan to follow the same path next season and use this year's intel to find the type of deer I'm looking for. Keep it coming, guys. You're helping a working man make the most of his time. Awesome, man. Sweet. All right, this one is from Kill Him Quietly. He said Top Notch and uh, re- I guess Respond, or respond Episode 451. Um, it calls me out a little bit here. That's why I let you, <laughs> let you read this one. This is a good review. Uh, longtime listener from Louisiana. And he said, yeah, bring some more Flatland stuff. Since y'all hooked me with the Glenn Solomon episode, rest in peace, uh, obvious, obviously a hard ep, hard to top episode, but you guys have been super consistent with great content. I'd like to compliment your audio too. It's always great. Can't say that about a lot of podcasts, and the effort doesn't go unnoticed. We appreciate that, man. It's been a constant struggle for five years <laughs> to, to get a good audio quality because it is much harder than it seems. Um Finally getting around to give you that five-star review. Episode 451 cracked me up. I'm still laughing, uh, picturing Andrew and the giant 20 feet apart cursing each other. (laughs) Reminds me of that real skit with the guys on the boats where he's like, What's your name? Ezekiel. Ezekiel. (laughs) F you, Ezekiel. Uh, I made that scrape yesterday. That's pretty funny. So, yeah, that was uh, episode 151 for a little backstory is where I talked about this guy this year on a WMA that I was hunting who who literally came up to me before daylight and climbed a tree 20 yards from me. And I might have lost my temper a little bit. I'm not going to lie. I said some words and stuff, and it wasn't good. Um, I'm still laughing at the mental picture. As an aside, you asked how to handle that situation. I know you worked hard to get there and all that business. Been there, in parentheses. You should have been the bigger man and went along with him facing the other way, as awkward as it was. Never make an enemy when you can make a friend. You know how handy a giant would be to help carry one out. 
find that guy and invite him on the show, if nothing else, just for the hilarity. Kill him quietly, Louisiana, Mississippi. That's a man. That's that's pretty good. It would be kind of entertaining to find that guy and have him on the show. Maybe I can make amends. Jacob thinks I'm too bitter. Andrew, look, Andrew, look, I'm getting over it now. Andrew doesn't know how to forgive and forget. So. Look, I'm getting over it now. I'm getting over it. It's fine. It's fine that it happened. All right. So uh, this next one's from uh, AUM Gold on Gold, titled "The Best Southern Hunting Podcast." Five stars. If you live in the South and love to hunt, then this is the podcast for you. And we appreciate it. Keep it nice, short, and sweet. All right. Dustin King 7, Breaking Down Regions, five stars. I agree with Andrew, and oftentimes people refer to Birmingham, South Alabama, to where if you divide the states into one-thirds, it is nowhere near, which brings up an interesting point on how different true deep south deer are versus northern deer. Deep south deer are truly harder to hunt slash harvest, and this is coming from a traveling hunter. I think that stems from, uh, again, our discussion on, like, south versus kind of south versus not south southern states i think that's what that stemmed from right Mm -hmm. okay yeah so i put out a a map which is 100 percent correct on uh which which states are in the south and which ones aren't so that's a all right so this this is the last review this from sr adam titled first turkey content didn't disappoint five stars awesome first turkey episode of the year fellas Gotta agree with the premise that there ain't no book to prepare you for turkey warfare. Unfortunately, we all have to go out there and ace up until we figure it out. But but that's the fun part. Thank God for two-year-old gobblers, LOL. Keep them coming, fellas. Adam. (laughs) Yeah, referring to the episode we did with uh, Matt Persons earlier this year. Uh, That was our first turkey episode of the year. That was a really good one. That was a fun fun turkey episode, man. But hey, he's exactly right about that. Uh, it's kind of funny. We were talking, I was talking to Parker McDonald from Southern Ground about mm-hmm. this uh, a couple weeks ago where we were talking about turkey content and we were both like, man, it's kind of hard as like a content producer, it's it's kind of hard to do turkey content because like y'all know that our, our deer stuff is like very tactically driven a lot of times. You know, we're talking about how to go out and kill deer and it just doesn't really work that well for turkeys. You know, it, everything is so dynamic. It's hard to be like, go do this and you'll kill a turkey. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like with deer, you can predict pretty reasonably what you need to do to go kill a deer. It's like, you know, go find a food plot that the deer are hammering and go sit on it with a rifle opening weekend. And you got a pretty good chance, you know, if you're on private land or if you're on public land, you know, go find yourself a feed tree and, and just kind of walk around and hunt until you find that feed tree. But with turkeys, it's uh, it's just really not that simple. I mean, it's it's such a dynamic like interaction with the bird that it's hard to sit here and be like if you do this you will kill a turkey um and you know the turkey hunting thing it like i don't know it's a little bit easier to produce it from maybe like a storytelling standpoint mm-hmm. yeah and then you get a lot of tips from those stories so that's kind of what we're trying to do with it but anyways that was a total tangent yeah but uh anyways appreciate that last review from adam uh it's pretty awesome so appreciate everybody's feedback uh one thing i want to do a quick shout out is uh for all the listeners who is an Apple subscriber, mm-hmm. so an option that you guys have to listen to the podcast is you can actually listen ad-free to the podcast where you don't hear any kind of advertisement at all on the show. Um, and all you got to do is if you're an Apple subscriber, which per our analytics, about almost 82% of you guys are listening on Apple uh, products and listen to Apple podcasts. If you subscribe, again, I think it's like two ninety nine a month or $20.99. Or $20 it's $20 a year. 
twenty dollars a year. Anyways, super easy, super simple. Helps us out tremendously. Uh, the money does come back to the podcast, which again helps out tremendously for us. Um, but with the ad free content, you actually get some bonus episodes. Um, in the fall, we were doing this. Or well, early fall, we were doing some what we called in the field podcast series, uh, and we actually took a little bit of leave of AdSense on that. Got a little busy. Uh, actually, broke our recorder that we were using <laughs> uh, to record that. So we were able to uh, take some of the money that uh, again these Apple subscribers uh, have been donating to the show, and actually go out and buy a couple new recorders so that we can be mic'd up at all times. And we actually just got back again that the day that we're recording this podcast which is in again march um just was able to do a new in the field uh podcast episode which again is released to specifically apple subscribers uh so again it's a bonus episode bonus episodes that come out for apple subscribers so again you guys subscribe and it's on patreon and it's on patreon but it's on patreon or apple subscribers and uh, again by the time hopefully you're hearing this episode that next in the field podcast has already come out um so again greatly appreciate all that support there guys again it it directly comes back to the show is a huge support from the show side of things and uh just appreciate everybody that's uh already subscribed on apple so yes sir got that also big shout out to everyone that's been checking out the youtube videos oh yeah uh youtube is up and running guys video content is a is booming right now so you need to go over to YouTube, search the Southern Outdoors Men. If you even search Southern Outdoors Man, we still pop up. So, anyways, still works for us. But still go, worked out. Make sure you're subscribed to the YouTube channel and check out some of the videos. We're trying to drop videos or work on dropping videos every single week uh, for you guys. Got some map scouting videos on there, and just bought a boat uh, that we're doing some videos on as well. If you're interested in seeing some of that, did a, a kayak breakdown and done a lot of other stuff. We can get a lot of things uh, on the table for us to work on. So go check out the YouTube channel. Check out some of those videos. We appreciate y'all's support over there. If you enjoyed some of the videos, give it a thumbs up and uh, also share it with some buddies. And hey, even better yet, go post a comment on there. Let us know you know what you liked about the video and also what you want to see from future videos uh, from the podcast. So uh, appreciate all that. And also appreciate everybody has been joining Patreon. Again, Patreon has been awesome. Uh, rocking and rolling now with the collaborators tier, which Andrew, maybe you can talk a little bit about that. Yep. Collaborator tier on Patreon uh, is basically a tier where if you're wanting to get a little bit more out of the content that you hear on the show and you're wanting to go a little bit deeper and you're basically wanting Jacob and I to, to hop on the phone with you and, and talk about your property and, and kind of help you out with it, that is the destination for you. You can go on there and join. And when you join the collaborator tier, we have a, a limited number of slots available for that every month. Um, we will reach out to you. We'll get a little bit of information on where your property is at. We'll get a little bit of information on how it hunts, you know, the the people that hunt out there, uh, just kind of what the situation is. And then we'll actually map scout it, drop a bunch of pins on the property that catch our eye. So Jacob and I, the way that we actually normally do it is we both get the property and we both, we're like on a Monday or something, we're like, all right, let's both map scout it today. And we map scout it separately. So Jacob goes and drops all his pins. I go drop all my pins. And then we come together to film a video for you. So the video... We were going to do just like a shorter video, but they all end up being like an hour, hour and a half long. Yeah, they all end up. We can't show our mouths. Um, So we get on on there and we go and actually step through each pin and we're like, hey, look, me and Jacob both dropped a pin on this spot. This is why. And we we both give our opinions on it and and usually also relate it back to a guest at some some time in the past who's like, hey, so-and-so mentioned hunting stuff like this and this is what that looks like on your property. And uh, we... We go through, and of course, we send you that video 
and then we send you all those pins as well and then we get on the phone with you and we're like hey what do you think and we kind of talk through some stuff and and whatnot and uh, it's a it's a lot of fun. We we really enjoy doing that, and we've had some success stories come from that this fall. Yeah, so. and you're going to hear from some of those guys on some future episodes of the podcast. We're going to kind of interview them about the success that they had um, after kind of going through that whole uh, tier in that program and, uh, and kind of hear it from the word of mouth from them. So, uh, again, it's been fairly successful for us so far, and getting excited to work with some, uh, some other listeners specifically on it. And not going to lie, it's kind of fun because – you know, while we're doing this whole program, and even afterwards, even after we break down the property, you know, if you have questions, you can text or call us and kind of work through on, you know, kind of how everything's playing out for you throughout the season. And uh, it's been super exciting from our standpoint, just kind of seeing, you know, listeners have success from doing this. So if it interests you for this coming season, let us know. I'd uh, love to help you out, especially if you're joining a new club or got some family property or even some public land. It doesn't matter. Uh, we'll kind of look it over and kind of break it down. So super excited about that. But other than that, Andrew, do you got anything else? I think that think that does it. Yep, awesome. Well, appreciate everybody listening to this week's episode. Again, make sure you tune in for the next episode of Southern Outdoorsman, going over a little bit more turkey hunting content. Check out the YouTube channel, and we will catch y'all back here on the next episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. Hey everybody, this is Kyle V, host of the Ozark Podcast, a show where we sit down with outdoorsmen of the Ozark Mountains region to talk all things hunting and fishing. Just like the outdoorsmen who live here, we follow the seasons and interview regional experts on everything from bear hunting, to fishing for smallmouth and trout, and discussing big questions like what happened to all the quail in the southeast. If you're enjoying this show, then I know you'll enjoy the Ozark Podcast. You can listen to the show on all podcasting platforms and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode.